Yeah, so this whole month we've been talking about this, right? Like, no filter, what's it like to live a life where I don't have to be somebody else to get something else? I don't have to strive so hard. How does God beat us in all of this and do something new and surprising in our lives? And uh, this morning is no exception. Um, as we talk about the story of Jacob, you remember we've been talking about his story all month, and uh, this guy was a disaster and just all over the place, and how God met him through his life, and the things that we can learn about how God meets us in our life. Now, um, this morning, I'm thinking about, like, we're going to talk about, like, this messiness in our lives, and we all have messiness in our lives. I was thinking about um, sometime in my own life, about, like, where there was, like, this, I was like Jacob, just trying to figure it all out, and I thought about this one story that... um, about four or five years ago, uh, my parents had asked me to sell their RV for them. They were getting older. They didn't, they didn't want to like, try to deal with all of that. And so I had the RV parked at my house. And uh, it was hot summer, and it was starting to kill all the grass in the front yard where I had it parked. And I also thought that my neighbors might not appreciate it. I was like, ah, this, you know, I have this RV in my front yard all summer long trying to sell it. So I got this genius idea that I was going to move it to the backyard. Okay, So I... I got in the RV, and I pulled around and backed it in to where I wanted to put it in the backyard. And as I was backing in, I thought, you know, maybe this might get squishy, you know, when it rains back here. So maybe I should pull it a little bit more forward, a little bit higher spot. It was too late, right? Like, the RV had already started to make ruts in as I had backed it in. So I started pulling it forward, you know, and the wheels just start spinning. And you, you know this moment, you're like, okay, you know and I'm a guy, right? So like, it's like, oh no, this isn't happening, right? We're shifting in gears, and then I'm going to get out of this thing, just gun it a little bit. No, that's not working. All right, we're going to rock it back and forth a little bit, right? And you know, then, then you get, you, it's not working, right? You've, you've had this in your life, right? Like those things where you just, you're trying to get it done, and it's just not working, and it's bad. You're, you rock it back and forth, you're trying everything, and it's just not working, and I get out of the RV, I go back and look, and man, there are these ruts, and they're like this deep, you know, and, and, I, and I'm like, oh man, what am I, so, so I'm a guy, right, like, I'm going to go get some, those big two by ten, or, you know, tens, two by tens are like eight feet long, I'm going to shove them under those back wheels, I'll climb right out of this thing, right, um, and it's hot, it's like 90 degrees, and the sweat's just pouring off me, and I'm shoving those things in there, and I'm, I'm going to get right up on those babies, nope. Like, the, those things just sink down further into the ground, a little bit further. Now the two-by-tents, they're all buried in the ground, too, right? And, and I'm just like, what? So, so I, go get, I go get some gravel. I had some extra leftover gravel that I hadn't used from another project. And like, I'm putting the, in the wheelbarrow, and I'm just sweating, and I'm just working really hard, pouring the gravel in in front of these wheels, right? Because it's going to hit that gravel, and then it's going to climb on a thing. By the time I'm done, I'm not kidding you, the RV was like this far, Above the ground, the wheels were sunk down so deep in the ground. Have you had this moment in your life where you realize, despite all your best efforts, like you just keep sinking deeper and deeper, and you keep trying, and you just keep sinking deeper and deeper, and finally my wife got home, and she looks at me, and she says, why don't you just hook up the the four-wheel drive to it, and I'll pull you out. And I'm like, huh. (laughs) So she gets in the four-wheel drive, I hook the chain up to it, she pulls me right out, comes right out, like, like took us two minutes, right? I worked for four hours to get it stuck. Two minutes, my wife rescues me. But we have 
all of those things in our own lives. Now, my wife and I were watching a little bit of the news this week, and you know what we said to each other? I'm sure glad I'm not on trial for all the things I've ever done in my life. Right? Like, aren't you glad that in God's courtroom it's a little different? Like, I, I don't know where all that stuff lands or where you land with it, but I just thought to myself, all the stupid things I've done in my life? I mean, you, you start looking at all the junk in my life, I've messed up. Like, I, I, that RV situation, that's just a funny story of a whole lot of sad stories in my life, right? Like, a whole lot of sad stories of things I've said and things I've done and things I wanted, things I thought I needed to take, and it just ended up. Disaster. Now, I know that you got those too, right? Like, you know, one of, the, one of the jokes of one of the groups I lead is, is our, the icebreakers that sometimes I lead with, and one of my favorites is, what's your biggest regret? Let's share them right now, right? Like, like if you did that right now, right? Like, hey, turn to your friend and say, hey, tell them what your biggest regret is, and you're, you're going to be like, some of you are like, that's not happening. I'm not retelling that story, especially to a stranger, right? I don't want anything to do with it, but we all have them. And what's worse is, what's worse is, we might not experience the courtroom of others. Like maybe nobody knows your story of where you messed up. Maybe nobody knows that story that you're like, if people knew it, I would just leave right now because I don't want want to talk about it. I don't want other people to know it. Like maybe nobody here knows that story, but you do. And probably there are voices in your head already. You know the voice of doubt. I hear it all the time when people say things like, I'm just not a good parent. Sometimes I'm just like, I I wish I was a better parent. I'll never be a good enough fill-in-the-blank spouse, husband, kid, student, worker, like whatever it is. Or you have that voice of shame. You know, the moment where you've messed up and you you just, you messed it up and you just kind of screw up. Why, Why is this always, why is this my story? Or you have that voice of avoidance. You're just like, Listen, Andrews, I try not to think about those things, right? Like, I just, that's put on another Netflix binge watch because I do not want to deal with that right now. Or, or that voice of rejection inside of you, just like, you know, if people knew that about me, they'd never love me. No one could ever love if, if, I, if they found that stuff out about me. Like, these are the voices that wander around in our head And we can't fully engage in all that God has for us because we're so busy not getting past our past. We're so busy trying to make up our mess, trying to figure it out on our own, trying to get what we think we need, trying to take what we think we must have. And we miss out on what God wants for us. And the one thing that I want you to get this morning, the one thing I hope that you'll walk away with this morning is this. God is at work in your mess. God's at work in the mess in your life, in the messes that you have, in the messes that someone else brought into your life. God is at work right there in the middle of them. So this morning, here's what we're going to do, and this is the reason I know this, is because I've been, we've been looking at the story of Jacob, and this is the reason that this story is in the book of Genesis, is to show us something about the character of God. And what he wants to do in our lives when our lives is a mess. The reason that all these messes are in there is because God wants us to know, yeah, there's a mess and I can do something with that. I can meet you in that. That's what God desires for us. So we're going to look at the story of Jacob. We're going to look at Genesis 29 and this whole story. And and, remember, Jacob is this guy, Jacob's this guy who's like, 
He is so clouded with ambition that he betrays his brother and steals from him and takes with him what he thinks he wants. He is so, so much about getting what he wants. He is so desperate to control his own destiny. And get this, he's so desperate for that that he deceives his father, his blind father, on his deathbed. And who does that? This is Jacob, out to get what he wants. And that messiness continues in his life. Remember, he has to run from his home. He has no place to go. He ends up, last week we talked about this, he ends up at a place called Bethel, a place of nowhere, where God says, don't forget about me, don't forget about me. Jacob's only starting to get that message, and that's where we're going to be this morning, Genesis 29. He's just starting to get this message of God saying, don't forget about me, but he is still about taking what he wants in life, about getting something. He is so desperate, so devoid of a confidence that God really is there for him, that he thinks he needs to go get it on his own. He thinks, I, yeah, God, I know God, God, I know you got stuff, but I, I need stuff too, and I I got to take care of that myself. Yeah, I can't just wait for you to give it to me. This is where Jacob is in his life. So if you want to follow along today, you can follow along on your outline inside the scoop. There's some of the scriptures in there, lots of scriptures on the screen, but we're going to go through the whole chapter 29 today. So if you're in your Bible, your Bible app, that's where we're going to be walking through the whole chapter of Genesis 29 today. Um, so we're, here's where we get started. Remember, Jacob, remember the first week we talked about Jacob's born, and then he steals his birthright, and then his brother Esau, who's this big hunter dude, is like, I am going to have your head. I'm going to literally kill you, and he has to run from his house. His parents even tell him, you better just run. Like, you better just get out. And so he runs, and this is, he, he stops at this place of nowhere. God says, don't forget about me, but he is on the run. He has no place to go. He, he's basically told, you better go find your uncle Laban. It's east, right? How many of you are like me that if someone said, go find your Uncle Laban, it's east, you'd end up in California and wonder what happened, right? If you didn't get that, you're like me, okay? That's how you know that you're like me. You're like, oh, I didn't even know which east was. I just like, I can't find my way without a GPS. You get 20 miles from the house and you're like, I better have the GPS on because I don't know which way to turn. Well, Jacob, like, He's got to just go east looking for his Uncle Laban. Remember, these are nomadic people. There's no permanent address. You don't just find your Uncle Laban. You are on a search for him. This is where he is. And this is, this is the one truth that Jacob knows on this journey. I can't go home. There is no home. I blew it. I messed it up. There is no place to go home to so Whatever I want, whatever I need, whatever I got to get now, it's all on me. Right? I got to figure it out. That's, that's where he's at. So, so verse 1, chapter 29, so it says, So Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. And he sees this well in a distance, right? He sees this well in a the distance. There are three sheep, flocks of sheep and goats, and they lay on the open field beside it, and they're waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covers the mouth of the well. And so he sees all these sheep, he sees all these shepherds, and there's this well there, and the well is covered. They're not watering their sheep, which is kind of weird, but they're just hanging out there. And so he comes up to the shepherds and he says, listen, do you know a man named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? 
And to his delight, to his surprise, to his like, I'm here moment, they say, oh yeah, we know Laban. And he says, well, is he alive? Is he doing well? Yeah, he is. He's doing well. And in fact, at that very moment, right, off of the distance, they say, in fact, look, out in the distance, you can see those sheep. You see that girl coming? See that girl? That's his daughter coming. She's just one of the shepherds. That's his daughter coming right now. Now, so Jacob is like, whoo, man, right? And they, he sees his cousin. Now, I don't know if he's seen his cousin before, but you kind of get the impression they've never met before. But he looks out the field. He sees his cousin coming and uh, goes, wow. Wow. I'm here. I found Mount Lame. Like, maybe there's hope now. So he asks these guys, says to the, he says to these guys, because he's, he's a shepherd too, he's a little puzzled about this whole situation. Because if you're a shepherd and you, you got sheep, what do you do with your sheep during the day? You feed them, right? You get your animals out into the field to be fed. But they're hanging out in the middle of the day, and this is puzzling to Jacob. So he asks him this question. He says, look, it's still broad daylight. It's too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water your sheep and goats and get back out to pasture? I mean, that's the whole thing. I don't know if you guys know about shepherding. This is the way it works. You know, you, you, you got to get the sheep fed. Then you pin them in at night. And he says, we, they, this is what they say. They say, we can't water the animals until the flock has, all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Because when all the flocks arrive, then the shepherds move the stone to the mouth of the well, and they water all the sheep and goats. Let me give you another translation. This is, how, this is the Sean Andrews translation, okay? Listen, Jacob, this, here's the thing. We wait for all the sheep and the flocks to arrive, because here's the deal. Dude, that stone, it's heavy. We ain't moving it on our own, right? Like, we wait for all the other guys to show up, and then we all work that stone off the well, and we all water the sheep. But we're not, we're not doing that on our own. That thing's heavy. Verse 9. Jacob is still talking with them. When Rachel, he's, she, she's off in the distance. She's getting closer now. When Rachel arrives with her father's flock. Okay, now he's just seeing Rachel now for the first time. She's getting a little closer. Because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban. Her mother's, his mother's brother. And because the sheep and the goats belong to his uncle Laban, you see what's going on here. Because that's his cousin who happens to be pretty hot. All right? Like, he sees her and he's like, whoo, she's pretty hot. And so, and guys, you know when you're single, you know how this works, right? Like, you're at the gym, hot girls coming over. What do you say to your buddies? Throw another couple 45s on there, time to impress the ladies, right? This is, this is Jacob, right? Because he sees her coming, he's like, ooh, she's hot. And then he, he knows that this is Uncle Laban, and what's Jacob think? I'm on my own. I got to impress. I got to put up the things. I got to show her. I, I got the stuff because I got no other place to go. If I don't impress her, if I don't impress Uncle Laban, where am I going to go? I can't go home. And so here's Jacob. It's, right? So, so it says, Jacob went over to the well. Now all the shepherds are like, we don't move that thing without each other, Jacob. Jacob goes over to the well, and he moves the stone from his mouth, from the mouth of the well. And he says, I'll water the sheep. No, hey, no, no. Hey, Rachel, I, I got your sheep. Come on, come on, come on over here. I'll, I'll take care of them, right? Like, like. 
Ladies, there is nothing a man won't do to impress you, right? Like, he might need an ice bath for the rest of the week, right? Like, he might not be able to move his back, but he is pushing that rock off the well so he can impress Rachel. She's there. And then Jacob. This is his next move. Check it out. Check it out. This is his next move. After he pushes that rock off, she's fine. You know, he says, ah, let me water your sheep for you. Gets her over there. Then Jacob goes over to Rachel. Remember, they haven't met. Goes over to Jake, Rachel, and he's still having, he goes over, and he lays one on her. He kisses her, right? She, and he weeps aloud, and he says to Rachel, look, I'm your cousin. I'm on your father's side, the son of Aunt Rebecca." And Rachel's like, whoa, and she runs to tell her Uncle Laban. Now, we don't know if she ran because she was like, whoa, dude, I'm going back to my dad's house. This is getting kind of freaky for me. And most of you didn't grow up in a place where it was okay to go lay one on your cousin, right? But in ancient days, it was actually common practice, not just to kiss your cousin, but you could actually marry your cousin. Now, I'm not saying you should put your cousin on your date list, but what I am saying is that in ancient times, this is common practice for families, okay? So, so they would marry, they, they didn't want to go outside their, their, their relationship with God, and so they would, they would marry and look for someone that was close to them, someone they could trust. And so this is where Rachel is. She goes back and she finds her Uncle Laban, and her Uncle Laban comes back, okay? He comes back to meet, he hears this whole story. He's, he's like, oh, wow. My nephews arrived, Jacob's arrived. He says, I've got to go meet him. And he goes out and he embraces Jacob. Now, you thought it was weird that Jacob kissed his cousin, right? Some of you, like, like his uncle comes and lay, lays one on Jacob and kisses him. Now, some of you are like, listen, I grew up in a stoic German home. I can't, I can't shake hands with my mom. I don't, I don't even get a kiss from my mom, right? Like, like, and this is his uncle who, is, who lays one on him and embraces him and hugs him and says, will you come home with me? And in this moment, right, what's Jacob thinking? I've been running. I got no place to go. And my uncle, he wants all that's good for me. Look, my uncle is welcoming me and he's embracing me. And finally, I found a home and I can go home to. And he's super excited about it because here it is. He's arrived. His guard is down. He's like, Laban's like, you're really my own flesh and blood. Jacob tells him his story, except we know Jacob. And we're going, you have to ask the question what's the story that Jacob told? Right? Because Jacob's pretty good at setting this up the way Jacob wants to be set up. But there's a whole other twist in this story, too. And here's the twist. You get embraced by your uncle and welcome, and you don't have any place to go, and your guard's kind of down. This twist in the story is this, that his uncle Laban, though it seems that he's really welcoming, doesn't have the best intentions in mind for Jacob. And you kind of know this in your own life, right? That just because someone hugs you and kisses you, it doesn't mean that they have what's best in mind for you, does it? I mean, everybody that invites themselves into your life, now listen, everybody that invites themselves into your life doesn't actually have what's best for you. It's not just good for you because they invite your life. Like, like listen, if you're, you're single, you're in that stage of like, yeah, I'm thinking about dating, listen, this is really important. Just because someone is good to you doesn't mean they're good for you. You see the difference, right? This is true for all of us and our friendships and everywhere else. Just because someone's good to you doesn't mean they're good for you. So here's Jacob. 
Verse 14 says, Jacob stayed with Laban for about a month, and Laban said to him, let's make a deal. You shouldn't have to work for everything for free just because you're my relative. Let's make a deal. Name what you want, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. Laban has two daughters. Remember this, right? The older daughter, she, her name was Leah. The younger one was Rachel. Now remember, Rachel's the one that he saw push the rock off the, 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 the well for. Verse 17, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Now in the Old Testament, this is the way of saying Jacob didn't find Leah very attractive, right? She wasn't hot like her sister. She wasn't the girl that she was like, woo, over. Leah's not that girl to, to Jacob, at least. Rachel, Rachel had a beautiful face. You know, Rachel had it all together. Rachel was pretty. She had her act together. You know, she had a lovely face. Jacob just like, ooh, right? This is, this is where this gets. So, so this is, you know, and this is not like if you're Leah, this is not the story that you want written about yourself. Like who wants this forevermore written about them? There's no sparkle in your eyes. Great, that's great. That's, thank you for writing that about me. But this is, this is the story. This is the messiness. And guys, you know, like, you know that reaction, right? Like when, when guys, you, you found your wife, you know, and you fell in love. And you were like, whoo, she's for me, right? Like, she's hot. Like, I, I just, I love her. A man. Like, this is, this is Jacob. But all of his reaction, remember, Jacob's got no depth right now. I mean, he's just gotten to the point where God was like, don't forget about me. But Jacob's got no depth. He's the kind of guy who can tell you the stats of anything that he's interested in, but ask him what's going on in his heart, and he just gives you an empty look. Like, what? Feelings. I, what are you talking about? Right? This, is, this is where he is, because he's all about getting something. He's all about moving forward. He's all about taking something. He can't tell you what's his own heart, but, but he's in love. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel. Hey, let's make a deal, Laban says, whatever you want. Jacob is so in love with Rachel. This is what he says. He says, I will work for you for seven years. No wages. You don't have to pay me a cent. I will work for you for seven years if you'll give me your younger daughter as my wife. That's all I want. I'll work for you seven years. Come on. Seven years. That's a long time. No wages, no getting ahead, no career moves. Seven years. He must have been in love, right? He was in love with Rachel. So he like he works, he 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 works for seven back-breaking years for I mean, I'd have worked seven years for Susie. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to, because I don't think I got along with my father-in-law very well, but I'd have worked for seven years. For my wife, Susie, I'm glad I didn't have to, but he worked seven back-breaking years. Verse 19, there he says, I agree. This is good. I'd rather give her, this, this, what, a, what a great statement from a father. I'd rather give her to you than anybody else. Huh? That, that's your best statement for your daughter? So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but his love for her, ladies, you're going to love this, right? His, listen, his love for her was so strong that it seemed like but a few days. Aww. That's so sweet. That's so nice, right? We're like, woo, that's so nice. He works for seven years. Remember, Jacob's got, got a lot of depth here. 
There's a lot of motivations going on. You know, you know how in your life there's mixed motivations? Like there's something that you want that's good, but you got other motivations about getting it too and how you go about it and what, you all, what else you want in it. And you don't really know that until you're in the middle of it. Jacob doesn't know it at all. And he's got a lot of different motivations here. We kind of find out what they are. Verse 21, finally, seven years is up. He comes to, comes time for her to marry him. And this is what he says. He says, I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob says to Laban. I fulfilled my agreement. I worked for seven years. I'm ready to build a life with your daughter. I want to start a family. I want, I want to be her man and her champion. Nope. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Seven years, he works for Rachel, and the only thing this guy thinks about is, I want to make love to her. That's it. This, I know, ladies, you're like, no surprise, right? This is what's on a guy's mind. But this is, this is where he said he's got no depth. He's got these mixed motivations. And here's what we learn in this story that, that's good for us, too. And that's this, listen, messy motivations. You don't know what your motivation is. You don't know what your heart is. When you've got messy motivations, it can take something good and make it messy. That's why it's so important to understand your motivations and where they're coming from. Because if you don't, you'll be about getting something instead of giving something. And that's where Jacob's at. He's all about taking something. Instead of receiving something. He could have received this as a gift. But instead he wants to take something. And that's going to get him in trouble. Now here's Laban. Laban says, so here at verse 22, Laban invites everyone in the neighborhood to a wedding feast. And man, this must have been a big wedding feast. This was like an incredible wedding feast. They must have had all kinds of things there. They must have had a lot of good alcohol there because Jacob parties. And you don't believe, I know it's not in the text. No, it doesn't say that Jacob partied and he drank. But I'm, I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute, okay? Jacob must have had a little bit too much to drink. He must have been on those messy motivations. He wasn't thinking about it. He was just thinking about taking and celebrating that he got what he wanted to take. Because here he is, right? Verse 22, but that night, so the whole neighborhood comes to the wedding feast, but that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah, wait, 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 Jacob worked seven years for who? Laban took Leah. Rachel, Jacob thought who was pretty and he wanted her? Rachel. But Laban took Leah. Rachel, or to, to Jacob. And he, there's more, and he slept with her. Yo, Jacob, you worked seven years for the woman you loved, and you slept with the wrong woman on your wedding night. Like, how drunk? Do you have to be? How dark does it have to be? Like what? What possesses? Like what is going on in your life that this is where you like? What is going on with you? Like you didn't even talk to her. Like no words were exchanged in this whole process. This is a story. This is this is no joke. You know this is this, this is here. You think the Bible's boring. It's not at all. So verse 25, right? Verse 25. This is great. Verse 25. So Jacob wakes up in the morning, you know. Ah, he rolls over to look at his new bride. 
right, rolls over, and who's laying there beside him? Leah. She's got a big smile on her face. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? You know? And Jacob is like, what? Like, he is mad as a hornet. He is enraged. He's going crazy. He is panicked. He's like, what did I just do? What happened last night? You know, I can't believe it. He runs out of the tent to find Laban because he is, he is ticked off. And he runs out. I mean, I don't know if he's like buck naked at this point, but he is mad. He runs out of this tent. Here's where he is. So he runs out. And he says, listen, what have you done to me? You know, I mean, have you ever worked really hard for something in your life? Only to find out that what you worked hard for, what you wanted, what you desperately thought you needed to take, wasn't what you really wanted? Like, have you ever done all this stuff to try to get something that you thought you really needed, only to find out when you got it, it wasn't what you really needed? Verse 19, he goes out, he's yelling at Laban. Laban says, no. He says, what have you done to me? I've worked for seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? You ever been in that place in your life where you, you've been taking shortcuts? You know, you've been trying to get what you want, and it's, you end up in some place where you're like, oh. He says, why have you tricked me? It kind of makes you feel bad for Jacob, doesn't it? It kind of makes you feel bad. This poor guy, like he worked seven years. He laid down his life. He says, why have you tricked me? Until you realize this pivotal moment in his life of how he got here. Remember how he's here? Because he's got no place to go home to. Because he had to run from his house because he tricked people. He stole from him. He took stuff that wasn't his. He couldn't wait for it, so he took it. He tricked for it. He deceived for it. Remember this, this whole thing that happened in his life where he, he stole from his brother. What was his brother's? He couldn't wait for it. He deceived his father to get it. And now he ends up here. And he says, why have you tricked me? I don't know, Jacob. Maybe it runs in the family, right? I mean, he is a realist. He finds his uncle Laban, and his uncle Laban is better at his own game. And we, we run this class, this course called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And in it, we do this thing called a genogram. And it's this really cool insight into your family history where you look at like dysfunctions and things that went wrong in your past and have become patterns. And you go, oh my goodness. Like, I probably don't even know that that was a pattern. I'm going to repeat that pattern if I'm not aware of it. Poor Jacob should have taken our Emotional Healthy Spirituality class. Maybe he wouldn't have got deceived by Laban. Maybe he would have known like, Oh, this has gone on in my past. Now, here's the thing that we, we learned. He we could have seen this coming, but Jacob doesn't. If you continue to live that life, you continue to try to keep taking stuff that you're not willing to wait for, if you continue to try to deceive and try to get stuff that you're just not willing to wait for, you've got to have it, you need it, and so you'll do anything to get it. If you're not aware of the mixed motivations that go on in your life, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up, wake up next to Leah. You're going to get some that you didn't really want. Because see, God's not going to stop you from that. God doesn't stop you from doing all those things. 
He won't put the brakes on in your life. He loves you, but he gives you the ability to choose, to make your own choices. Galatians 6, 7, this is the way the Apostle Paul says it. He says, don't be deceived. You will harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. You can live that lie where you keep telling your parents you're one place, but you're really another. But it won't last forever. You can keep chasing after all that stuff. Some other good people in your life are like, stop chasing after that. Stop doing it that way. You're not going to end up where you want. You can keep ignoring them. It's not going to last forever because after a while, maybe it's a year, maybe it's seven years, but at some point, you are going to wake up next to regret. You're going to wake up next to this moment. You're like, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Because you will reap what you sow. Jacob had to learn this the hard way, but you don't have to. There's this great, great story that I've heard. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, about a, a contractor for a builder. And the contractor has this builder who's worked for him all of his life. And the, the builder gets to a place where he wants to retire. He's great at what he does, but he's just like, listen, I just want to retire. The contractor says, listen, I want you to build me one last house. Just one last house. Build this last house for me, and we'll, we'll, call, it, we'll call it square. The builder takes some convincing, but he says, okay, I'll do it. So the contractor gives him the plans. And these plans are like ornate. They've got like all this detail in it. There's like no expense spared. And this guy just wants to retire. But there's all this stuff in it, and all the details are in it, and he starts building this house, and he's tired. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to spend all this time. He doesn't want this to be the, like the project that gets him to death. He wants to retire. And so he says, you know, I'm gonna take some shortcuts on the foundation. I know, I know what the plans say, but I'm just gonna take some shortcuts on the foundation. And then he begins to put in the HVAC system, and it's elaborate. He's like, I'm not doing all that. That takes too long. That's too hard. I'm going to do it differently. He puts in the plumbing, and he says, you know what? I don't want to check the plumbing connections. I've just been too busy. I'm sure it will be fine. I've done this a lot of times. It's going to be fine. And he gets done. He's done with the house. He goes to the contractor, and he says, I'm done. I finished. Now let me retire. And the contractor, throws him the keys to the house and says, you've worked for me a long time. I'm really glad that you did. You built the house, but now you're going to, you finally get to live in what you built. Right? Isn't that the story of our lives? Right? You got to live in the house you built. You got to live in that thing. Whatever you're doing in your life, like don't take shortcuts on it. I tell my kids this all the time. Like, listen, you got to live in the house you build. Stop taking shortcuts. It's not worth it. Stop, stop shortcutting what God wants for you in your life. Stop, stop taking the shortcuts to get there. Because if you're not careful, you're going to wake up next to regret. Verse 26, getting to the end of the story. It's, this is what Laban says. This is great, right? He says, why have you done this to me? This is Laban's answer. It's not our custom to marry off the younger daughter first. I mean, you can see why I deceived you and lied to you and tricked you, because it's not our custom. So what does Jacob do? So this is what says. He says, I'll tell you what, work for me for another seven years, I'll give you Rachel next week. Just give it a week. 
Give Leo a week. I'll give you Rachel. I mean, you thought your family's a mess, right? You imagine this, just one week. This is, this is all Leah gets is one week. So Jacob agrees. He agrees, and he begins to do this, and he, he's taking all the shortcuts, and he's, he's got all this mess in his past, and now he's living in the house that he built. And it's a mess. But here's what I want you to really grasp today. In your life, there are places that it's a mess. And sometimes it's somebody else's mess, and you inherited the mess. And sometimes it was your own mess, and you made some decisions. You're like, I wish you wouldn't have made that decision. I wish I wouldn't live, but i got to live in this house. And I don't even know if this house can be better. And you're still trying to get something and make it better and fix it yourself. And God is saying, slow down. Stop trying to take. And instead, put yourself in a position to receive. Because here's what I want you to hear. God uses it all. Everything, everything that you messed up in your life, every bad decision that you had in your life, you don't have to feel, you don't have to wait. You just, listen, you don't have to try to fix it and make it your way yourself. You don't have to try to get something yourself. Because God's going to use it all. God's even going to use that mess ups in your life. He's going to even take care of those. I want you to understand that. Now listen, the, as the story goes on in verse 30, in, in the end of the chapter, right, and then the beginning of Genesis 30, this is what we find. We find two sisters who are desperately jealous of each other. Leah, Leah, God sees her. and She's like, I feel unloved. I feel unapproved. And God sees it and gives her children. Do you know what Leah thinks? She takes this gift from God. And instead of cherishing it, she thinks, this is how I get loved. I, I, don't, I don't see this from God. I just... I want Jacob to love me, so I'm just going to keep having more children. And the more children I have, I'm just going to get on the approval treadmill. And I'm just going to start, just going to start cranking. I'm just going to start, look, Jacob, now you'll love me. Look, Jacob, now you'll love me. And now you'll like me. Now you'll see me as valuable. Now you'll do this. Now you'll do that. This is Leah, her whole life. She is rejected by Jacob, but she doesn't realize that she has been selected by God. Because God is doing something special through Leah. God has seen Leah. And there are so many times in our lives, we're like a little bit like Leah. We're on that approval treadmill. Just got to get more grades. Just got to make more money. Just got to do the next thing. Just got to get perceived this way. And then I'll be liked. Poor Leah, she's trying to be liked by Jacob. Jacob doesn't even like himself. You're never going to get approval. You're never going to get lasting approval so long as you keep trying to seek to get approval. It all starts with God. You just got to receive. God. He already loves you. He's already selected you. He's already chosen you. You got to stop running after it from other people whose approval doesn't matter in the long run. It's only God's that matters. And then there's Rachel. Poor Rachel. She, she's got everything. She is beautiful. She's got, she's got the looks. She's got Jacob's approval. He loves her. He worked for 14 years just to be with her. She wants what Leah has. She can't have kids. Leah has all the kids. She's so focused on what she doesn't have that she can't enjoy what she does have. You ever been there? You're so focused on what somebody else, I wish I could talk like him, wish I could be like him, wish I had what he had, wish I had what she had, wish I could look like she did. You're so focused on what you don't have 
that you're not enjoying the gifts that God wants to give you what you do have. See, Jacob causes this huge mess in his life. Makes all these decisions. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't just use it all. God is at work in it all. And this is what I really want you to get. God can bless your mess. Understand that? God can bless your mess. All the messes in your life, all the things that you've done, you're worried about them. I want you to understand that in the frustration and all that kind of stuff, you're like, I don't even see it, but there's something that's happening in this story and this family, and we don't see it coming in our own lives either. And here it is, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Right? Lee is having these kids. Their family's a disaster. They're all jealous of each other. They're all trying to take something instead of receive something. And this is where it all leads. In the middle of the mess, if they're paying no attention to what God has for them, this is where it all leads. Matthew chapter 1. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the person who would deliver us from our sin, the person who would rescue us and restore us into a relationship with God. This is the record of his ancestors, the sender of David and Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Who's Judah come from? Leah. Thought she was unloved. The whole time that she's just trying to get approval, you know what God's doing? I am building a nation. All she could see is right in front of her what she needed to take, what she wanted to get, and God saw the nation of Israel. And God saw the coming Messiah. And God sees it in your life too. The places in your life where you're still just trying to take it and get it. And you don't even know what's going on. And God sees what he's doing in the long run. And he is still accomplishing his purposes. And he's still fulfilling his promises. So don't get stuck in your mess. Stop for a minute. Stop trying to take. Stop trying to get and receive from God. Can we... Stop and bow our heads for a minute. I just want to call you to something this morning with your head bowed where you are. Now, I don't think you can really understand God's grace until you own your own mess. Until you you get in this spot where you realize that you've been trying to take, that you've had mixed motivations, that you've been trying to win approval from someone else besides God that doesn't matter in the long run that you've been tired and exhausted doing all that stuff, that there are things that you have done, deceptions that you have told, places that you're doing right now. Even now, you're not, you're just like, I don't care about that. And you've been running really hard. And you know that there's a mess today. With your head bowed, I want you to receive this. I want you to hear this. God is at work in the mess. Even though you have doubts about this, even though you have voices of doubt and rejection and all those voices in your life, I want you to hear this. God wants to bless your mess. God wants to meet you in it. Right in the middle of that mess. God wants to greet you there. He wants to give you his grace. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He said, I'm doing all this so you can have grace. You just got to receive it. All that mess that you've made and maybe still are making. Jesus says, I've got forgiveness for you. You just got to receive it. You just got to invite him into the middle of your mess. So that's what I want to invite you to do today, right where you are. I'm going to pray for you. I just put your heads bowed. I just want to know, get a picture of as I'm praying. So this morning, if there's this 
mess in your life that's come up. There's a space in your life that you're like, God, I need you to bless it. I need you to meet me here. If there's something you've been trying to take but you need to receive, you just raise your hand today because I want to I pray a prayer over you right now. Now as I'm praying, just, this is a prayer for your heart. You just, in this moment, what's God saying to you? Is he saying you need to receive today? You need to be humble today? You need to stop trying to do it your own way? In this moment, are you ready to receive? Father God, this is the prayer of our heart. I confess to you that I've got a mess today. I've got a mess in my past. There are some places even now, some decisions I'm making that are messy. I've been trying to get something because I thought I was on my own. I thought I didn't have a place to go back to. God, I need your grace. So I'm thankful. Jesus, thank you for coming on the cross, for, for letting me know I can be forgiven. God, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Today I open my hands up and I receive your grace. Help me not to chase after my own blessing, God, because otherwise I won't see it in my lifetime. I want to receive your blessing in my lifetime and not just see it in the next I'm going to open my hands and receive your blessing today, God. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to start waiting for the blessing that you want to give. In Jesus' name, amen.